Welcome to Live Like an Acrobat. I'm your host, Shanae Stiletto, two-time world champion in acrobatic gymnastics, USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame member, and Cirque artist. Please remember to check out the circuspreneurblog.com for extended conversations and interactive content of each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. Be sure to check out my weekly handstand doorknob classes and handstand one-on-one private sessions available for booking on aerialfitbodies.com. Please consider making a donation to encourage the continued growth, expansion, and evolution of this podcast. On today's show, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing circus artist and author at theaterartlife.com, Martin Frenette. guest on today's show encompasses the uniqueness of character that this world does not have enough of. Not only linguistically gifted, Martin Frenette is a beacon throughout the circus arts community as he uses his talents and skills to constantly highlight the careers, dreams, ambitions, and goals of others. I wanted to take the time to highlight someone so spiritually avant-garde because he never hogs the spotlight. Martin Frenette uses his extensive circus and theater art knowledge to make fellow artists feel seen, heard, and most of all, center stage. Please enjoy my laughter, banter, and witty repartee with one of the most otherworldly individuals with his feet firmly on the ground or in the air that I've been lucky enough to know during this act we call life, Martin Frenette. by performing arts, Martin Frenette started intensive dance training at a very young age before trading plies and bars for ropes and somersaults at Montreal's National Circus School. He's been performing and working full-time in the industry since 2004 and has spent a decade in Europe where he got to perform in several shows in numerous countries such as Circus Monte, Chameleon Theatre, Winter Garden Variété, Cirque Buffon, Max Entertainment Palace, or the Friedrichspau Variété to name a few. Next to being an aerialist and dancer, Martin has also been working as an artistic consultant, director, and choreographer, both for circus and dance projects. He very much enjoys splitting his time between Europe and North America and getting to create both on and off the stage. Writing has always been one of Martin's passions, and he's thrilled to share his views on shows, the stage, and what's going on behind the scenes with readers. And that's what led him to become a journalist for TheaterArtLife.com. Martin Frenette also wrote the Festival du Cirque du Dumont's 40th Anniversary Books English version, which was published in January 2019. He was hired to translate and adapt the French text in its entirety. In his most recent literary achievement, Martin has recently completed his first novel entitled Et maintenant. 
Please welcome my special guest, Martin Frenette, to the show. Hi, Martin. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me over. Uh -huh. Yes, I want to start by saying that this is so many years in the making. Although we imagined it being at a lovely Indian restaurant in some far off place in the world. We've been musing and laughing about doing a talk show and of course a stage show together since the day we met. You are the Oprah to my Gail and I'm the Gail to your Oprah. We first met in Germany when you were more so based in Berlin, when my brother was visiting. I love that you met him with me and we talked him to sleep that night. <laughs> he had no idea where our conversation was going and we couldn't help but explore tree theories and just overall cosmic meanderings about my dad is a jacket. Um, yes, ah. that's us and still us. <laughs> and we stay connected and uplifted by passing Tina Fey and Amy Poehler videos with Maya Rudolph mixed in to maintain our sanity year in and year out. During this Stand for the Cause pause, I wanted to state that this episode was recorded before Tina Fey took action and addressed directly the concerns that her TV show and some past works included some hurtful racial content and that she has since had these works removed from public consumption and in her own words stated, as we strive to do the work and do better in regards to race in America, we believe that these episodes featuring actors in race-changing makeup are best taken out of circulation. I understand now that intent is not a free pass for white people to use these images. I apologize for pain they have caused. Going forward, no comedy-loving kid needs to stumble on these tropes and be stung by their ugliness. As we move forward with growth and powerful change within America and around the world, I want to salute all steps taking us in the right direction, no matter how big or small they may be. And now, back to my conversation with Martin Renette. That's how we stay connected and loving each other. All it takes is a click. I'll let you respond to my recap of Baby Jesus Talk. Yes, that's our code for connection. I'm looking forward <laughs> to having you as a future co-host of an episode. It'll be a wallop for sure, that poor guest. <laughs> so, without further ado, I would like to begin with our first lovely question. Uh, here is an exclusive snippet from your current published piece for theaterartlife.com. You wrote, and quote, choosing to be a circus artist means choosing a lifestyle, not a job. It ain't all about business cards and bank accounts. Such a choice goes far beyond performing in front of an audience. Taking this path means taking charge of your schedule, body, training, and resting periods, especially as a freelancer. Spending as much time looking for performance opportunities as actually performing is an integral part of any performer's life. In spite of possibly leading to frustration and deceptions, this reality cannot be denied nor ignored. I love this new piece that you've written, which is now or will very shortly be available on theaterartlife.com. Can you elaborate on how this relates to your own experience as a circus artist and 
what was the inspiration behind writing this piece? I feel like it's something that cannot be said enough about our lives as circus artists. Also, it's a very adaptable skill of life for the school of life being a circus artist. How have you relied on this adaptability throughout your life and during such current times of enormous change? Well, as you know, clearly as a freelancer again, like we cannot predict how many shows we're gonna do unless, and even if you're on long-term contract, what's happening in the world now, uh, you and I both know you can be doing eight shows a week for a month and the following month having only one in the entire month. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably the one thing that I, I'm not blaming the school, but I, I went to the National Circuit School in Montreal and I'm saying, oh, it was there, don't tell me so. But I think the one lesson that I've really learned for the first years of my career was you are spending more time looking for work than actually being on stage. And uh, I think this is the one lesson that every performer, whether you are an acrobat, a dancer, or an actor, um, be prepared to look for work. And I want to put it out there from the gaggle from this intro for this article about like reality check number one. If you're going to be a performer, get ready. And as I often say with anything in life, if, you, if you're not up for it, if you're not qualified for it, find someone who is. So if you're awful with accounting, with giving the bills and doing numbers, get an accountant. If you don't have the patience for uh, promoting, emailing, writing, calling and all, get an agent. Uh, if you kind of make your own training program, get a train. Like it's, and um, yeah, I, I would say it's really about uh, this reality of the art. We are all spending more time looking for performing time than actually being on stage. And it's a bit the thing that most people are not getting that are out of the business, like relatives of mine or friends that have more conventional jobs uh, who often say, oh, well, you're only working two hours a day. Yeah, that's the show part. Uh, we're not going to talk about training, about, uh, but it's pretty like we're looking for work. Uh, it's looking for music, for costume, for all these things. But the promotional part of our work is huge. And as I, as I wrote, it cannot be the, uh, igno uh, ignored nor denied. You really need to give yourself uh, a full-time commitment to looking for work. And what I would say has been very interesting for me so far in the last months since the confinement started, I found myself with a lot of time to other things because the biggest part of my day was almost devoted to promotion and now since there are no shows happening until god knows when i get to do other things so i think that was actually the the reality check i had from this confinement situation how wait like i really spend that much time online google calls and it is a lot of time and i think whether you've been doing this for a year or 10 or 20 or about to enter the business be ready. It's, it is a lot of work to, to look for work. <laughs> <laughs> well said, my friend. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> it's not the dream to be looking for work all day long. <laughs> Actually, I, I've been told my sister one day, she works in the bank, and after once, I think we're spending the equal amount of time on a computer. You work in a bank, 
I'm meant to be unsafe, but I think we're spending the same amount of time at the day, really. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> we love it. Oh yes, we do. We 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 love it. Like you said, it's just uh, it's it's a part of it's a part of the journey. Mm -hmm. It really is. It is, it is a huge part of the business, totally. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's it ain't called show business for nothing. Nope. <laughs> so, in the past, you've spotlighted my own career on theaterartlife.com, which was a highlight for me. Thank you so much. Pleasure. <laughs> and I've loved your other recent pieces, focusing on lasting, intimate relationships within circus, the complexities of it, and the colorful compromises that are threaded throughout our relationships to a certain extent that is truly not the norm. Your other piece about the artists assisting other artists freely to keep themselves showtime ready and bookable during these times was also very resourceful and incredibly practical for readers. You also wrote about the Broadway shutdown. What drew you to write these pieces and why are you an artisan journalist, so to speak? Well, um, actually, I did not want at first to write about the pandemic and the confinement this reality because I felt we're all talking about it. It's, it's our full-time reality. So I was looking for ways to almost go around it. And even like the piece on the Broadway shutdown, if you read it carefully, I do not mention the words pandemic or virus once. I didn't want the piece to be about the virus of the pandemic, but about Broadway shutting down, what it meant, how it happened. Um, still, though, I felt I had a responsibility to acknowledge what's happening in our world right now and then to see how can we learn from it, how can we grow from it. And that's the perfect example to me is that piece called Let Me Entertain You, which is about my friend Ulrika, who came up with this website to teach artists how to be better at promoting themselves, how to make websites, how to sell themselves properly. To me, that was the perfect way in a way to discuss the pandemic in a way without doing it because um, these advices are actually what she's pointing out are accurate and are good whether or not we're uh, in a world where there are 20 shows happening a second or nothing for 20 months. So um, I found that was the right way in a way to discuss our reality right now without making a full piece about virus pandemic confinement like for instance i like uh maybe the clearer i'd be i did not want to run a piece about how do you train in a pandemic for instance you know so i felt writing about uh, ulrika's website or about um the reality of long distance relationships but now especially i know a bunch of artists are literally in different continents because they kind of travel to see themselves um so these were ways to discuss them and then as far as how the urge to be a journalist, a writer came, um, I think I was about eight years old. Uh, but I mean, I've always loved to write. It's always been a passion of mine. And uh, three years ago, Anna Rob, who is the um, editor and the founder of Dear Art Life, reached out to me on Facebook and she was on this online magazine where she wanted uh, all the journalists or readers to be from the industry we're working on or off stage. And I thought that was a very interesting project because I'd love to write. And if I can reach out more people than just on my Facebook or by sharing my thoughts with friends, I thought that could be quite great. 
And then eventually my first pieces were only about my feelings or my views on topics and quickly turned into interviews. And I would write my pieces based on an interview. What it was, I, I spoke once with a, um, a Broadway dresser about how, what it really is life backstage and what is it about costume, about props, about the rush, the wings. And uh, I got to meet either virtually or in person so many inspiring people. And the one thing I would say, the one common thread that has come out is passion and inspiration. And I think I could write a whole book about just these topics. And I always have these questions about how uh, passion or how inspiration comes to them. And it's been actually inspiring to hear what is someone's definition of passion or how they get inspired day by day. Because as you know, even though we love it, going on stage every night can be demand actually is demanding. How do you feel alive? Or um, it, it is really, it has been a gift to meet all the people to get inside their heads and then to step back, read the answers and try to make it from these four or five pages cram it into two to make a, a nice piece. Um, it has been very rewarding. Mm, wonderful. Well, and speaking of, you could write a book about it. <laughs> you recently finished writing your first novel entitled Imaginant. How was the writing process? And what is your book about? And why did it need to be written out of you? Well, um, it's this one because the, the articles I'm writing for Theater Art Life or for Circus Talk are in English. This novel is in French because I think that's my mother tongue. And um, it's, it's a bit the cliche like J.K. Rowling or uh, P.L. Travis, that character just came to me literally. I was walking home one night and I saw that face and the next morning there was a whole body and it was like a counter and... Um, it just really, the story came to me. And um, at the time, because I started to write this piece last year, it was written mostly in 2019. I ended, I finished it earlier this year. And um, at the time, there was still a fuss about a TV series would have one name, um, but that people were really praising for being positive and having a nice message. and. I sort of disagreed. I didn't see how that topic was positive, or I felt that this product, um, these people around it were the bad lawyers for a very good cause. And I actually won my only aim with this book was to write uh, a book that would be inspiring and about positivity. So the central themes of this novel are being proactive and positive, moving forward. That's where the title comes from. Imatanam uh, means and now, and it's the it's a coffee shop that is named Imatanam, and it's owned by this woman in her 60s. And all these people that are coming to her coffee shops are all facing obstacles or what they feel the dead end or huge changes in their life. And basically, she's listening to them. And then they're all convinced it's the end, it's over, or I kind of move forward. And she just takes the time to guide them into another direction. It's like, okay, well, okay, that happened. And now, 
how do you move forward? I'm I'm someone that really isn't into drama and don't like to focus on what's wrong in the world or in, or in someone's. And uh, I, this character isn't me at all, but I wanted to, in a way, share those views and this idea that you can always move forward, even when you feel it's all over and you just got to lay down the ground and cry. No, like just pick yourself up. And so I want to write uh, a story about moving forward and uh, being someone who really likes to cook as well. Uh, the fact it's in a coffee shop allows for a, a whole food narrative because she cooks obviously at the same time. And, um, but it's really, if I have to narrow it down simply, it's about um, being proactive and positive and moving forward. It is not a self-help book, that being said. It really, <laughs> it's a story because also uh, each character has, this, has their own story. So it is a fiction, it's, it's a story, it's a novel that has a very, hopefully I hope, a very positive message, but it isn't secret or like a, how do I pick myself up book, you know? <laughs> yes, you are clarifying. Okay, we are, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for letting listeners know. I'm, I'm so excited to read it and I'm so excited to feature it on the circuspreneurblog.com, which I will in addition to all of your work for our listeners to know for the future. And I, I know it's going to be just a remarkable novel. So I, I can't wait. Thank you. And congratulations again, because it is no small feat writing a book, writing and completing a novel. But it is really rewarding. And it's, um, if I may say, it's also about staying creative. Again, like, well, I mean, I started to write this piece last year when I was still doing shows quite a lot and was busy with our projects. Um, but also the one thing that I would like to tell your uh, listeners, your audience now, is especially if you are an artist, the one advice I give many people is learn to define and to divide your happiness. That it doesn't only rely on when you're on stage, meaning, uh, and that's part of, part of the reason why I write is because of this, uh, a few years ago, I was wondering, well, I had less shows happening and I was getting a bit moody and sad about it. And I was like, well, I still want to be happy in life. So what is it about being on stage that makes me happy and just break it down? So in my case, I like the fact that I'm being active. I'm physically spent. I like the creativity aspect of it. I like to connect with people. Um, so there were all like these three or four reasons and just thinking, okay, well, if I get to do those things in another way, they become stage. For instance, creativity comes with writing. If I don't have a show this week, but I write a lot, I'll still feel happy. And then when I'll go back on stage, it will feel great because my whole happiness isn't relying on this one moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is invaluable advice and I feel as though too some people learn that at different as times and aspects like during their career but I feel like if you learn anything from when you start out in circus it should be that <laughs> yeah because the the one thing that scares me I don't want to sound like a dinosaur now but when <laughs> I, when I meet young acrobats that are in their late teens or early 20s mm-hmm. and that I ask okay well if Oh, let's say they tell me, oh, well, I have a show coming on this year, this month, this week. 
don't know what I'm going to do. Or I got injured. It's over. Oh, have no more life. So what do you mean? Like, what do you like? Oh, well, I like circus. And, but like the, the fact that our whole happiness and life are revolving around all oh, these circus is scary to me. So I encourage also people find, you don't have, you don't have, and you cannot commit full time to 20 things, but have other sources of joy and happiness in your life. Otherwise, it's your passion is going to kill you in the end because you won't feel happy unless you're on stage, you know? Right. Yes. I feel like it's very healthy and it's very conducive to your overall mental health as a circus performer seeking longevity in your career and even well, for the short term, too. Mm-hmm. And even uh, like I, I have this one friend in Berlin, uh, his name is Philip, and he's a contortionist in his 40s now. And uh, he's someone that uh, takes the contracts that he wants. He doesn't take long term. Like his happiness is a lot about Berlin, his, his home. So he won't take a six month in Australia because he likes to come back home. So that was a choice he made years ago. I need to be, if I'm going to be happy, I need to be able to come back home to my flat in Berlin. And so I think that that's someone that I know is very, has a very healthy relationship with the state in his work because he made a choice. I know I need this. I need to go home once a week or so on my days off. So I'm not going to take long contracts far away that I cannot come back home. So same for anyone. If you need uh, to see your grandmother every week, that's okay. You don't have to be on stage every single night. If your grandmother is bringing more happiness than a bunch of strangers clapping for you, that's okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Yes, you mold it to how it suits you on a personal exactly. tone in every single way that you can. And I really do feel like that increases the overall happiness and, like you said, the healthy connection to your career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in terms of circus performing, why did you choose your particular specialties? And what do you feel is your highest task to fulfill on stage and throughout a contract? I know your last long-term contract before the sheltering in was in your own written reflections, the best stage experience you've ever had. Why and how important is that for circus artists to be deeply aware of while living their career? This kind of ties into what you were really just talking about. Well, my main discipline, my specialty is called uh, double rope or double cloud swing, which is two pieces of rope, basically. And it came to me, I was at circus school. I was first as a dancer from the age of five until my teens when I went to uh, circus school. And I knew I wanted to make something aerial. I wanted to perform an aerial act. And I tried swimming to peas, liked it, but something was lacking there. I tried fabric or silk. And... Um, the durability of it but something it was there was always something i tried clasping it was always something lacking and when i got on that double rope on those two ropes it just felt like at home on the first time i went on there i was like okay this is me and i think the fact that with the two ropes um there were possibilities to in a way mirror my dance work with arabesque and splits and different shapes it felt like the a natural link with my strength as a dancer and um i'll enjoy the um, how 
how complex and simple this prop looks. Because I like to all these weird shapes and nuts, intricate puzzles. But then in an instant, I'm only hanging my one foot and it's all gone. It's only one row. So um, I often compare it to a maze that I'm trying to get out of in a way by doing all these shapes up and down, up and down. Um, and I think that's one of the best compliments I've got out of an audience member was I never knew what was, com what was going on, but you made it look so simple in a way. Like it was confused in a very healthy way. So um, <laughs> I like how, again, it, it can be very simple, get very intricate when you look at it. And uh, I wanted to be in the air, that was for sure. And uh, I do not perform at a 20, 30 meters high in the air. I'm a bit closer to the stage because I like the connection with the, I mean, I can reach the rope. I'm sitting on stage, I can reach the rope standing up, you know. And uh, I like that you get to use the floor too, a bit of the floor connection with the dance again. And um, yeah, basically that's how this rope became my specialty. And it's the one place as I said, uh, anytime I go up there, I'm home. I'm the best person, the best artist that I can be. I feel like this is who I really am. On or off stage, my personality comes out in that road. And um, then you were asking about uh, what is my duty and what was my duty or what I'm supposed to do on stage? What was the second question? It was, yeah, what is your highest task to fulfill on stage and throughout a contract? Well, uh, to, uh, about on stage, to me, it really is about connecting with the audience. I really feel as a performer, I, I find it's our duty and even our obligation in a way to connect with people. And I think every artist, whether you're a ballerina, an actor, a singer, or a contortionist, every artist has a story to tell. We're all storytellers, and I want to share mine not a personal life story, but a story, something with the audience. So I, actually, I really try to look people in the eyes when I'm performing, when it's possible. And uh, I, to me, it really is what I love most about performing is connection with the audience. I love even hearing them being quiet in a way or like hearing them think or a gasp or I don't need nonstop clapping or cheering. I should for a bit quieter audiences for that reason that I really feel like watching you and uh, I really think yeah to me it's it really is about uh, connecting with the audience I think that's our main duty on stage to connect with the audience and to take them on a ride with us where that's right going to lead them but connect with the audience that's the main duty and then as contract it may sound silly but actually I believe in it um, your main duty is be a nice person as simple as uh, be nice and that's really that connects to the last gig I did I was in Suga for four months and that was by far one of the healthiest runs I had because those were nice people and I think I was nice too um so no no drama no fights no just don't try and put your ego fast. Don't try to show how big, how strong you are, why you're so special. We're, none of us are unique snowflakes. We're all in this together. It is, to me, a show is really about being a team on and off stage. And that's probably why that uh, run of Shell and Shuka was so amazing at the Village Bow. 
because the energy on stage and off stage was the same. There was no um, faking it or uh, people were smiling if they wanted to or were quiet if they wanted to. And uh, the door was always open. And if you wanted to go, you could go in. Otherwise, you could just stay back um, and no feelings were hurt. I think it's really your job. Yeah. On any contract, be a nice person and learn, learn from those around you. I really feel we are lucky as artists to meet so many people and to be in touch with so many cultures and roots and traditions. Um, I could probably spend a year talking with each person I've ever performed with. Um, be aware, open up, look up, listen out. You have so much to learn from every single person in a show. Go for it. Yes, that's beautiful. Is there a particular type of show that you really love that you have not explored personally and maybe will never experience personally, but a type of performance that is just maybe even an unexpected type of performance that you really love that people wouldn't expect that you actually really love? Um... I'm going to start this one in three parts. The one that I feel that I should try just because I don't want to, because I don't feel like I could do it, uh, <laughs> is something more like comedic or like clownish. Uh, that's something some people have told over the years. I oh, should do like a clown act or something funny. Or cl-. And I do not want to do it at all. But I think eventually I should find my like... Uh, a friend of mine who's a clown told me once, oh, you just need to find your inner clown. Like, I don't want to. Yeah, but <laughs> he's there. So I think someday I'll have to acknowledge I have an inner clown in me. Um, otherwise, I would like, but that wouldn't be a surprise to anyone who knows me. I would like eventually to work on a musical, not singing per se, because I don't have voice to do stuff. But I, I often go uh, in New York, now obviously, uh, I've seen tons of shows of Broadway, uh, West End as well, and there is something just huge about those shows. And I would like to see how, well, I think the offstage show interests me as much as the one on stage. And I think I would like to be involved in some capacity in a musical just to see how does that work. And I think for you and I, we've been on a lot of uh, like variety shows and cabarets where we're small ensembles. See, so what is it like to be um, in a cast of 100 or 60 or 70, how many they are? And I would like to see what it's like to be in a really big show. And I just, then lastly, I would like eventually to do something very classic, like uh, the Moulin Rouge in Paris or the Tigre Palace in Frankfurt, like very classic cabaret, like the old times, being very close to the audience, small orchestra, I really like those old-fashioned shows. I would, when I was living in Europe, I went at least twice a year to a professional circuit as well. I find them beautiful in the classic form of shows. So I think eventually I would like that. Would be like a really good gig for me. I think to be in a place like Moulin Rouge or Tiapalast and ride during the day, perform at night, and have a healthy life. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I've been to Tiger Palace 
um, it is very quaint and cozy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very intimate. Yes, very, very intimate. And also one of my favorite ways to perform as well. So you've been, circus is very international. We travel extensively throughout the world. And I feel like that's one of the privileges of being a circus artist. Is there a part of the world that you fell in love with or that just has a special place in your heart because you went there for work and maybe not necessarily the show was the highlight or the work was the highlight, but going into that particular location became the highlight. And it's like, it's like a a positive trigger for you when you remember it. Well, um, Berlin really was home for me for six years. And it's a place that I, I first went to the city when I was on my first tour, I was 19 or 20. And it had a few days off and I had friends at the time living in Berlin. Oh, you have to come, come. And from the second I got off the plane, instinctively I felt at home. It felt natural. And I think two or three years later, I moved there to be on show. And uh, it has changed a lot over the years, clearly. Um, and I don't think I could be able to live there now as I used to. Just being based there, training, having a life. I would go there in a heartbeat to be on a show for three, four, six months for sure. But I think I also, I was in my early, mid-20s. Now I'm in my 30s. I've changed a lot. The city has changed a lot too. But it's still, I, I went back when I was in Suga this winter. And there's still a connection, even though it has changed a lot. Um, Berlin, has a, I, I, I lived there, yeah, again, I, I was there for six years. It has uh, so many fun memories are coming back to me when I'm there. And I really grew up as a person, as an artist. So Berlin is a very special place for sure uh, in my heart. And um, on a d- totally different uh, point of view, I was in Moscow two years ago. And um, this was a very unexpected gig. I, it was for a TV show. And I've always vowed I would not do those talent kind of shows. Um, but they pitched it and they sold it really, really well. It wasn't one of those gut talents with mean judges show, it was a different context, but it's mostly the the people again, the team over there. Whatever it was the technician that rushed to stop me from getting my bag off the floor to help me because he liked my act, or a cameraman tapping me on the back when I walk off stage because he liked what I did, or um, the interpret was asking me maybe 20 times a day, are you, are you happy? Are you okay? Do you need something? There was so much love and care from every single person in that uh, studio. For a huge reaction, it felt insanely human. And I was happily surprised uh, when I went to the city. I had the feeling it would be very busy, crowded, rushing, running, a bit like London or New York. And I was surprised to see how it's a big city. And yet people were okay, we're calm, we're taking the time. And uh, I, I went into a bakery, and obviously I don't speak Russian, and this adorable woman took her phone out, tried to translate, I was asking her some stuff, and showed it to me in English what she wanted to say, really helped me out, find the best thing in her shop for me. And um, I found, I obviously, I think you as well, I have many Russian friends, I work with many Russians, being a circus, um, and... 
I never got a feeling that I knew actually exactly what the Russian culture is or how they are, especially, I think there's a huge difference how Russians, or actually how anyone behaves away from where they're from when they're at home. And uh, I was curious, okay, how is it when I'm in their country and I'm the foreign guest, you know? Because when in Germany and France and the States and the Russians come in the cast, they're deferring us. And, and I was like, well, now I'll be deferring over there. And then they were insanely warm and welcoming. And uh, it's a place I'll happily go back to. I don't think I would be able to live there full time, but uh, I would go back just for the, yeah, the, the warm welcome I got from that city uh, really touched me actually. It wasn't expected and beautiful. Oh, I actually have very similar feelings. I've been in Moscow many times throughout my life from when I was a little baby acrobat competing and then for doing specialty performances and shows. And I love Moscow. And I don't think I could live there full time because I don't think I could afford it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the other one as well. <laughs> it's a very expensive city. <laughs> it is now an incredibly expensive city. <laughs> I tip my hat to every person that I've ever known that lives there and has maintained their life there, especially someone in the arts. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a warmth, there's a warmth to the Russian culture and being in circus, we are incredibly connected to the Eastern European cultures because we're, they're mostly our, our colleagues and I've been very fortunate and felt fortunate to grow with them and learn with them and, you know, have many of them actually raise me from when I was really little. So it's, it's, it, it does feel like, like family to me um, in many ways. So... What are your thoughts as someone living in the headquartered city of Cirque du Soleil on their financial fallout and crisis? What is the story on the ground in Montreal? And do you know artists personally affected and how have they coped? What do you think this says about the overall crisis of circus worldwide as Cirque holds such a monopoly on it? Well, I think... Clearly, for um, the whole industry, we won't. I think I'm going to spread anyone by saying that Sertale is a huge, one of the most important players in the business. So I think uh, when people were hearing that Sertale was in, maybe going bankrupt or was struggling, the idea was, okay, well, if if they're struggling, how will we? How will the small companies survive if they can't? Uh, even uh, I know people in Vegas that are on non Thursday shows, and yet it was well. If these shows are shut down, how will we survive? And if they're not going, we're not going for sure. And um, I think it is. It, it, it will have a huge impact. I don't know how long it will last until they can get their balance back. Um, clearly, have many friends on those shows. So of course they've been affected. They were meant to be on tour for one, two, three, four, five years, and some have been performing with them. A friend of mine in Vegas has been at O since 1998. It's the first time since she was on a maternity leave that she's not performing. So for someone who's been performing that long to not be able to go on stage anymore has to be quite challenging. And um, I hope 
the one positive thing that I hope will come out of this for the company is that uh, maybe they'll be able to redefine who they are, what they are. Um, I feel that the, uh, they produce a lot of shows over the years. And um, a part of me, like a nostalgic part of me, misses me like the poetry of the simplicity of some of the earlier productions. And uh, I hope maybe I felt that in the last years there was a rush to produce as many shows as possible. And I hope this break, which hopefully won't be a breakdown for good, just that this little break will allow them to look back, step back, and say, okay, well, maybe let's do less and go all the way for what we do. Because uh, they produce amazing shows that have inspired me actually to become a series artist. So I hope we'll be able to see them come back to life in a healthier, more balanced life, actually. <laughs> yes. Well, also, in addition to that question um, around Cirque, Cirque du Soleil, Daniel Crispin, an Australian national treasurer, has during the same time lodged a huge lawsuit against Cirque, claiming that he was maimed and left severely handicapped by his time as a lead artist in their show, Taruk. He's seeking payment for his extensive medical bills and may never fully perform again. I feel really deeply for him. His lawsuit is unprecedented as well. What do you think that that says about the dark side of circus? The circus that you know more about if you're an actual performer, as so much is left from media or audience knowledge. And how much do you think, how different is circus now than it was to when you began circus? And then even from before you even began circus, because to me, you're such a, I would say, archaeologist of circus and of shows and of entertainment. You have such a vast knowledge of the history and the ins and outs of this industry and then just in terms of the field of arts. So how do you think it's changed so much? And and what do you think about it is, is are good changes? What changes about circus arts do you feel like are alarming, like what you stated about Cirque? Is that something that you feel is more generalized um, uh, feeling when you look at the overall plight of the circus industry? Well, um, just about uh, Daniel Crispin's story, what I thought about when I read the piece that came out, I think, in March, was um, of actually this idea of the show must go on that is enforced on all of us. And I think we all have this unhealthy uh, mentality when we start doing circus shows that we can go, we can do it. We're, we are trained to get used to and even to embrace discomfort and then pain. We are trained to live with it and to move over it, to ignore it to some capacity. Um, I honestly, I'm, I don't want to go into history because I don't remember it that clearly. Um, but I do feel, and I, cause I've read a story that I've witnessed actually similar stories, where um, if maybe we didn't have, I don't think uh, uh, something like the company puts pressure on artists to perform. Um, but I think often we ourselves are saying, okay, now I like, oh, I had pain in my shoulder for about three days. But 
oh, I'll do the show. It's going to be okay. I'll just like, I'll do some more turbans or something. And we are trained. We believe, okay, well, the show must go on. I, this idea of, I can go. I'll do it. I'll get over it. It's going to be fine. And I think we really are pushing ourselves. And I feel that uh, many artists don't respect their bodies enough. And um, that's why I'm quite thankful for, uh, as I said, I was trans dancer before I went to circus. And my ballet dancers were really intense on warming up, cooling down, stretching, all these very, very disrespectful relationship with your body. And I feel something that isn't really present in some circus artists. I've seen people going on stage without warming up. Oh, I'm fine, Mel, I'm fine, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the long run, it's hurting us. Of course, we can all go with minimal warm-up, and we, we've done it so many times. Um, but I really hope that stories like Danielle Christens can uh, light, uh, yeah, just bring some light to us and realize, okay, we're not superheroes. We should tell the ego to shut up at times and listen to our bodies. And we shouldn't be afraid to tell a company, a manager, a director, whoever is above us, I am not going on stage tonight. And uh, it's, it's my body, it's my main tool. And the thing is, we have a life past circus. I love performing, I love training, I love what I do, but I also want at 80 years old, I want to be able to keep on running and I hope I can even still do split at 80. Uh, I don't want to be uh, with, with, a, with a cane or uh, like some wheelchair. I look at my grandfather who is 91, who is uh, going around his lake every single morning, for I don't know how many miles, I think like three miles every morning. Like, this is what I want. At 91, I want to be able to walk three miles a day and maybe more. So if we push ourselves too much, if we don't store our bodies, it won't happen. So I hope stories like Daniel's can really open a dialogue about the respect of our bodies and that we won't be afraid to say, stop. And um, if even, it doesn't have to be physical, if you've learned before going on set your your mother passed away or that you're you just got I don't know, you just got left at the altar before so like you know um <laughs> if you don't feel like you are mentally and physically focused enough to do a show, it shouldn't be well if you broke a toenail different story but I mean if <laughs> your focus isn't there it could lead to tragedy and you want to have a career you want to have a life that will that will both last so learn to listen to respect your body and to um, not to be afraid to ask for the same respect out of your superiors mm -hmm. however big the company might be um, there are it's not with every show, but actually more it goes. There are, there often are understudies. There are standbys. There are people that know your track, that they can film your cues. And uh, it happened to us at some point in the show that I was on in Stuttgart that uh, uh, one or two artists had health issues or emergency and they had to leave. And we covered for them. Um, 
so if you're not ready to go on, there's a team on and off stage. Ask for help and have a long, healthy life and career. Mm. Yes. Well, to extend on that <laughs> about wanting to be able to walk three miles at 90, <laughs> you sent me a fantastic video profiling an artist about what it's like aging as a circus artist. Her name is Rosides Garidio. <laughs> yes, Brazilian in front of mine, awesome girl. Yes. Woman, I should say. Yes, the the link to the video will be available on the circuspreneurblog.com. It was it, she's 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 very charming. She's very very inspiring artist in front of mine. Very enlightened and warm and uh, again. And she's not ninety one. She's in her forties. But <laughs> I've known her for many many years. But I've never heard her talk about aging in a circus. And I think she's been doing this for over. 20 years easily and it was very inspiring to me to listen to her describe her journey through different decades and how now at 40 something she's reaching out differently to the audience and how she's cutting with her body in a different way you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah exactly and with that said what do you love about directing, professional coaching, and choreographing, and how has your perspective changed now that you are older and aging as a circus artist? Well, I think probably the biggest fun I get of circus after performing is yeah, uh, directing or doing choreography or being an artistic consultant, just because um, it's <laughs> I, um, I want to be polite here, but it's like having toys in a way to play with. Like, hey, well, like when you're a kid, you have your Legos, you actually can make your own stories. Like, hey, well, now I have a body that I can, okay, how about you go slow there? How about you go high? You go, it's just, um, I think I, I cannot do everything, obviously. And uh, even I've worked a lot with artists that practice discipline that I don't, but because I know my body well, I know anatomy well, I can see where they could go and what they could try. And uh, I find it's real, it is a playground to be with other artists. And to see, I think um, many artists are really in their tricks, in their routine, and aren't aware of how unique they can be. Because the thing is, anyone can learn a trick with time and devotion. Anyone can learn the same tricks. Anyone can do the same routines, the same combinations. Um, but then when you work with someone, you really look at the way they move, even the way they walk through the room, you can pick up something and then okay, how about we take the, the thing you do with your hips when you're just walking on the stairs, could go in your hoop actually and could make that twist special to you. And uh, it is, I think that's what I love most about doing choreography and artistic work is to make someone shine using their true self, their personality. Because we're, uh, I, I said before, we're not, we're not unique snowflakes, but uh, we can all, we can all be different and make uh, the show our own, and the tricks are very own. So how do you give a color to someone? You know. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yes, their own. 
<laughs> to make exactly. it their yeah. own. <laughs> and I would also like to add that you never aged to me, darling. You've you've never aged. You're timeless. Yeah. Because although, well, if, if I may say, I, like I said, I hope I'll get to 91 and be able to walk three miles. Um, I hope that I will have an older, wiser mind. I like aging, you know, because I like I'm no longer actually the young kid in, in the show. I like the, the knowledge gathered through the years and the resources and the mentality. I hope my body will remain young, but as far as my head, I'm happy to be aging and to be able to pass knowledge along, even though I'm not a dinosaur, like to be able to yeah, share my experience and my views, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, yes, that's so important, especially for the younger performers coming in. I feel like that wisdom is so invaluable and it's not lost on me. I, I, I sense that whenever I am giving advice to someone and they are younger and I just, it just, it hits you differently when you're older and you've seen so much and you've had such a long career and there's so there's so much um, integrity I believe in your perspective and in what you have to say and as much as we want to believe that it doesn't change from 18 to where we are at other ages once you get to those other ages I feel like you do see how much it does change and it, it really you know I think it blows your mind when you think like Wow, all of that knowledge, all of that information um, under my belt and how I'm able to assist better because then I feel like you become an even more valuable asset within any kind of show that you're in because you soften its edges. Totally. And like even recently, well, recently, it was in the wintertime, I was at a friend of mine. Uh, her name is Amy Hancock in Vermont. And I wrote a piece based on interview with her about how... Uh, an artist's body is their beating heart. And she was turning 45 when I was there. And looking at her and listening to her, I thought, 40s are going to be awesome. I really feel like, <laughs> like, like the way she sees life as the mother of three who's been in the circus industry for over 20 years now, I thought, I think we are, and you know, with all like the newcomers shows, like the, the, the youth is a huge part of the industry. But I really feel that aging performers are beautiful to watch. And I've said it many times, I know some other performers that are in their 40s now. And uh, I'm going to plug in a name now. Uh, Homie Zeit, I've said it many, many times. This woman is in her early 40s now. She just comes on stage, raises one eyebrow, and you're stunned. That's all she needs to do. There is a maturity, there is a presence that you don't have at 18. And oh, I saw last year, I saw Elena Lev uh, reprising her role in uh, Alegria. Doing the Ule Uwe act that she's, I think she was, and then she was 38 or 39 last year. And this act, she first did, she was, I think, 13. But I thought watching her during the show last year, I don't want to see a teenager this act. Like, it is awesome because you are this woman with this maturity this life experience so as much fun as it is to watch young 20 years old jumping around bouncing around performers with maturity with uh yeah a strong a stronger stage presence that you don't learn and it is beautiful to see 
Mm, yes, it is. It's it's like a fine wine. <laughs> Just having a balance. Don't get like all newcomers or all all the before. Just like full between. A nice little balance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have you feel? Do you feel as though? Well, there's always something to be still discovered. But what is within you that you feel is still um, undiscovered in terms of uh, directing or artistic, you know, artistic directing, choreographing? Is there what is there within you that you feel like you're still uh, searching to tap into within all of the different ways that you tap into your artistry because you are a person of many talents and many skills um, and many, I would say, um, uh, interesting perspectives on the circus world and on the entertainment world. I was, as far as directing and choreography goes, I would really love to do more ensemble work, like directing full shows or yeah, bigger casts. I've done it once in 2016, well, uh, 2012 and 2016, and um, I've actually enjoyed as much fun it is to work one-on-one with someone. I also like being in charge of a group, but mostly working with a group and trying to get this one voice. When you're a one-on-one, there's your voice and, of course, the artist's voice. When ensemble to, to witness this energy coming out and to listen to this voice that is one come out is super interesting and um, just getting to work on bigger pictures and also no longer uh, production because it's fun to work on an act but an act is three, four, five, six minutes. Working on a show that can be one, two, two and a half hours long is awesome and I would like to be able to direct groups and work on bigger productions to really do lots of these because I again I was a dancer so I like dance numbers and or even or even group acrobatic numbers or group aerial numbers and able to do choreography for pieces with more people would be awesome. So that's something I really would like to do. And um, as far as myself on stage, as I said before, something like Moulin Rouge or Tia Palace where it's very simple. It's just you on stage with the audience, very close. Um, I feel it is really uh, a school in a way when it comes to stage presence and projecting. And I feel that that's how I could really grow now as an artist. I feel like I've reached a point where I don't want to learn 20 new tricks. I don't want to make my act so strong, so cool, so the best. <laughs> I want to be myself. I want to be able to the audience in a very simple way uh, without being so extroverted and so showman. And I feel venues like that are really intimate would be an awesome place to do so. Mm, I love it. And with my final question, as this relates to the current climate in America and around the world, so this is a pretty big pivot, <laughs> you sent me another video about racism, which was so hilariously powerful, titled, how to deconstruct racism head- one, one headline at a time. <laughs> yes, yeah. by, by Baratunde Thurston. You've got to see it for yourself to understand how accurate and awesome. respectful. 
<laughs> it is brilliant. <laughs> yes. This is how accurate and respectful my description of the video is. It's 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 it really is hilarious, hilariously powerful. What I love about you, Martin, and our connection is that it has always been built out of a deep reverence for the ability to be irreverent. Bringing our whimsical sarcasm with huge doses of wisdom is the superpower. And so what is your take on the lack of diversity in circus arts and the overt and covert racism that exists in circus that I've experienced and so many black colleagues and those of color have experienced for many years that has unfortunately brutalized many of our otherwise would be luminous career experiences? Well, I'm People tend to say that I have a very utopic, optimistic view of the world, and I tend to forget stuff, so I might be wrong here. But I grew up in the 90s, well, well 80s, 90s, but mostly 90s, and um, what, I've, the, what I've experienced as a kid growing up in the 90s, where I was, I grew up in Montreal in the city, um, which is, so of course, you're a small town, different story, but... Um, from the second I went to preschool, there were Lebanese, Vietnamese, African, uh, Asian. I've never been in an all Caucasian, all white group. So from the age of five, I was aware of all these different races and cultures and already, when I, I remember I think it was in second grade, this Lebanese girl at uh, recess brought us some treats. Her mom had made like, a typical Lebanese recipe and thought it was so delicious and interesting. Uh, I never had those. And oh, I kind of get those at the market. No, no, it's my mom makes them. And I feel, um, I actually, racism is the thing that I can honestly not understand in the world. Meaning um, as someone who grew up, always surrounded by people of so many different others of of colors. I'm like, but wait, these people are like me. They have different shades. Um, they might have different eyes. They might have a different accent, but they're humans just like I am. I, it's really, uh, I would say racism is the one thing I'm struggling in the world because I don't know where it's coming from. Why is it that because someone comes from different, uh, actually, in some cases, well, actually, uh, for instance, in the U.S., you may be African-American, but you were born in the U.S. nevertheless. Uh, you can be Japanese-American, but you were still born in Atlanta. Um, so wait, your roots might go back, God knows where, um, but you're still a citizen of that country. How, and you went to the same school, same program, how is that different? I never understood. And then when it comes to Syria, especially, uh, I'm, I haven't witnessed much, thankfully, racism in cast and backstage. Because I think it's, I'm sure it happens though. Um, but I think it's the one place where it just can't happen. Because every show has, like, uh, on the last show I was on, where we from six different countries, or not many were. Um, it is the beauty of this world is of all these cultures meeting 
being able to share what we believe in, what we've learned, what we've witnessed. Uh, I remember there was a circuit I was working with in Switzerland called Monty, and I spent two years with them. And once a year, they had the Multiculti Night, which was all about food and music. So people would cook dishes from their home country, bring music from their home country, and it was awesome. And I loved that night both years, just because, again, that's the best part of what we do, is being able to see the world without spending our entire income on traveling, you know? <laughs> and uh, I really hope that we can move forward and just stop thinking, because uh, your skin is organized in mine, you're not qualified, or, um, I mean, it just, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm struggling with it. That's why, like, the TEPAG I sent you, I did because I thought, well, the man clearly is not mocking racism, but he's putting a very funny yet serious twist on it. So I hope we can find more ways to discuss racism while keeping it, like I say, how to discuss racism, highlighting the issues and yet keeping it light, you know, so we can not laugh about it, but find a way to find the irony in it and how actually, well, how absurd it is, then this, actually, that's probably it. It is so absurd, it should not even exist. If we're <laughs> laughing that hard at this quote, how come it is, well, actually, how come it's this quote in a newspaper if it is that absurd, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, I feel like that is the word, <laughs> the the word absurd. I, I also yes. think that it's absurd and something that I've never been able to wrap my mind around and I never will, just like you. We will overcome it. We will. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yes, we will overcome it. <laughs> one, <laughs> one laugh and one giggle at a time, um, while also honoring the brevity and the gravity of that experience. But I just, I love how you see the world. I love how you bring experiences and heavy issues that exist in the world to me through different lenses and through just counter, counter, counter perspectives and, and counter viewpoints. And they're always just so enlightening. And it's like what you said. And that's what I love about the word enlightening. It means to make things lighter. And since these are such heavy topics, I am grateful when people are able to create the space of a lighter conversation for everybody involved so that I believe it can penetrate you deeper than, uh, you know, another conversation in terms of something that came to you in a much harsher way or something that felt um, not as inclusive or not as understanding of maybe where you're at in your own personal consciousness and perspective on the topic or on the conversation. So I really just adore you and I love the way that you see the world and the way that you move through the world and as a person, as an artist and all the capacities that you provide to the arts and to the circus world. 
and I love seeing your journey and how much you continue to evolve all the time and bring different facets of yourself into the circus world and how you also too bring so many voices from circus to us and you're so valuable within the circus uh, world because of what you seek to give back to us. So I really appreciate you, Martin. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. It's been a pleasure. I really have enjoyed this conversation with you. It's been a while as well, so it's been good. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Live Like an Acrobat with my special guest, Martin Frenette. Please make sure to check out the circuspreneurblog.com for extended conversations and interactive content of each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. Until next time, please stay safe and stay healthy.